0: Welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This week, we're going to give some hot takes on the news, highlight the stupid, because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere, and then we'll phone a friend. This time, we're going to have a conversation with Leo Terrell. Anybody who watches Hannity knows who Leo Terrell is. And, you know, you know, he's one of the most popular programs and has been on cable news for, I don't know, a couple decades. But Leo, Leo 2.0, we're going to have a good conversation with Leo. I, I've just known Leo from Fox. Uh, I've had a couple of conversations with him in person. But then when I saw him last, I said, hey, Leo, I need you to come on my podcast. It'd be a lot of fun. He's like, absolutely. So look forward to dialing up Leo Terrell, civil rights attorney based in uh, California. It just gives a great take on politics and the world of the world that's around us. So look forward to, to giving a, a call to him. But also want to give a hot take on the news because you know what? Coming up here, we have Memorial Day, and Memorial Day is really a special time. It was originally known as Decoration Day, as I learned. But uh, Memorial Day is more than just a federal holiday to kind of kick off the summer and bust out those short pants, maybe unzip those jorts, you know, those ones that zip down. You know, it's more than that. It's a great time to, you know, open up the grill and start cooking some dogs and some burgers and be together with family or friends or maybe go to the beach or hang out at the park or just have a good old time in your backyard. No doubt about it. It's it's one of the... Great markers uh, for the transition to what will hopefully be a good, fun summer, given the garbage we went through with, with COVID. It's much bigger than that. It's, um, it's time to sit back and contemplate and mourn and uh, remember the sacrifices of all the, the United States military personnel who have died serving in the United States Armed Services. I mean, this goes back from the Revolutionary War to the Indian Wars, to the Mexican War, to World War One, World War Two, the Korean War, Vietnam, Persian Gulf, the Global War on Terror. I mean, th- there are a number of wars that we have been involved and engaged in. We lost the, the most number of lives in the Civil War when this country was trying to figure out what it should be. And thank goodness we had the conclusion that we did have. But there are literally millions of people who have given their lives serving this nation. Now I'm very fortunate to, he's still with us, but my father-in-law who served, but again, Memorial days to think about those who gave their lives and sacrificed their, their lives. My father-in-law served in the army, but he was working triage and working in a, in a mash unit, so to speak. Um, where just literally hundreds by the hundreds kept coming through this unit, and not everybody made it. They were able to save innumerable numbers of lives, but there were some lives that weren't being able to be saved. And those people who have sacrificed and served their country and passed away at a young age, it's time to kind of take off our hat, bow our knee, uh, plant a flag, uh, visit them, think about them, pray for them, and their families, but Memorial day is really a time to, to reflect back. You know, we, we enjoy these freedoms as a nation. We enjoy these freedoms as a country. We enjoy the, the prosperity of this nation because we've had the biggest, baddest, most effective military on the face of the planet for a long time now. And when things weren't, weren't so certain, think of world war one, think of world war two, you know, it wasn't for certain that the United States was going to prevail. But there were people who stepped up every single state, every single nook and cranny of this country who actually stepped up, served, got over there, some as teenagers, some as in their early 20s, some a little bit older, but who went overseas and fought a fight we were exceptional with logistics. We were exceptional in innovation. We had pilots that were able to do things that we couldn't do otherwise. We had people who were willing to take that bunker, go up over that hill, knowing for certain that they'd probably get shot. And uh, we, we see it in reflection of movies. You know, Think of Private Ryan or, or um, Band of Brothers. There's some really good quality productions out there. But try to think, I as I do, of the individuals who, uh, who sacrificed their lives. And if there's a time that you can go visit that that uh, cemetery, get down on our knees and pray. I just think this country needs that time of reflection. And I hope we don't do it just on Memorial Day, just on the 4th of July. That surge of patriotism, I, I wish, was more prevalent all the time. Because you know what? The United States of America is the greatest country on the face of the planet. I believe we're an exceptional nation. And that we have been given some tools and some inspiration by God that uh, maybe some others haven't. And we can use that for good, real good, and be a force for good. But let's all pause and remember this Memorial Day. But I hope you also enjoy this podcast. And it's kind of a tough transition, but I'm going to go from that hot take on let's remember Memorial Day to bring on the stupid. Because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right. Again, I have to go back to this Operation Fly formula, you know, for months and months and months and months and months. And I talked about this previously on a podcast. There was a problem with the production of baby formula. Now, Joe Biden stood up recently and said, boy, who I, how would I have known what am I supposed to be a mind reader? Well, yeah, you got a bureaucracy. You've been the one that's advocated for bigger government more government and guess what that government failed you and failed the american people because as they worked to shut down the production of the biggest purveyor of boyt baby formula there was no plan to figure out how to a get it back online as fast as possible and b fill the supply chain so that we can get it i mean these poor Moms who are trying to feed these young babies, there aren't many solutions if you don't have the baby formula. And in some of these states, the way they've set up these contracts for sole source providers, it's just devastating. And you have states where it is really, really hard to get this baby formula. So the president's trying to tout Operation Fly Formula. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad we're bringing in some formula. But they went to great lengths to tout the 132 pallets of Nestle Health Science AlfaMino Infant and Alfamina Jr. Formula that left out of the Ramstein Air Force Base there in Germany for the United States. And then they're supposedly shipping in another 114 pallets of Gerber Good Start Extensive HA Formula that were supposed to arrive. That's great. I mean, 132 pallets and then 114 pallets, I'm sure we'll give it to relief to some somewhere. But this is not a solution. This is a Band-Aid. This is a panic. Hey, how are we going to do this? And if the FDA would get its acting order to deal with the labeling issues, the importation issues, the tariff, uh, come on. The Biden administration has totally dropped this. And yet you have Pete Buttigieg and others the Secretary of Transportation try to go out there and tell that, hey, we were on this since day one. Meanwhile, the president's saying, we're we supposed to be mind readers. We we're just hearing about this. Huge, total disconnect. Another cluster from a group of people. And This is what really makes it stupid to me, who believe that big government, more government is the better, smarter way to do this. And obviously not. It's failing us. Operation Fly Formula. Keep bringing it in, I guess but what a complete disaster and a totally stupid approach from government that's supposed to be the solution according to the democrats and that's bringing on the stupid all right time to get to our guest here and and I got to tell you I look forward to having this conversation Leo Terrell civil rights attorney you see him on on fox he's always passionate he's always fired up he's always got something good to say and you know he used to be democrat And I think he comes with a lot of credibility because now he's like as pro-Trump as could possibly be and really believes in the America First agenda and the MAGA agenda. And uh, so let's give a shout out. Let's uh, let's give a call to Leo Terrell. Hello. Who is this? Hey, Leo, this is Jason Chaffetz. Hey, thanks. Thanks for answering my call.
1: Look, my pleasure. You know, Jason in the house, I'm privileged to call a talk to you today.
0: We bumped into each other the other day at actually a couple different of events. And one was to, you know, uh, Sean Hannity, 25 years in prime time, just uh, the leader there. And then and I then also saw you at that correspondence uh, dinner, and that was fun. and and um, But thanks so much for joining. I'd love seeing you on Hannity. And, you know, we see you on Fox, but I, I really like seeing you on Hannity. That's uh, That's fun stuff.
1: Well, first of all, you forgot the one time I also met your wife at the White House Correspondents Center, Uh, met her there, and then also, I love you hosting, Hannity, and I love to be a guest when you fill in for Sean. Look, it's a privilege to know you, Uh, I mean, you've got a fantastic personality, we have a lot in common, and it's a pleasure to be invited to your podcast.
0: Well, hey, listen, thanks, I wanted to get to know you a little bit better, talk some more about some things that are going on in the country, but... You know, I love it. You get on there, you wear that hat, Leo 2.0. But I want to talk about Leo 1.0. I want to go back on Leo. I want to go back to, like, little Leo. Little okay. Leo, like, <laughs> growing up when you were just, you know, my first memories. Tell, tell me, tell us a little bit about what life was like for Leo when you were growing up. Uh,
1: little Leo was one of seven children, uh, the oldest son of Eddie... Terrell and Isabella Terrell uh born and raised in Los Angeles uh lived right next to what they call the Coliseum then we moved to what they call the South Bay uh just really a fun family a mom and dad who put tremendous emphasis on education uh we grew up as Democrats we were Democrats from day one. I mean, that was the major influence. And I think it guided me uh, in my early years. Uh, I was very active. I, I was—I love TV. I love sports. But then I also wanted, for some reason, I wanted to be a, a leader. I wanted to do something. And when I was in elementary school, I, you know, I ran for president or vice president or be the, the, the favorite of the teacher. But I'll tell you right now, I had a, a great, great, childhood growing up. Uh, attended public schools. Uh, I did become president of my high school in Gardena High School. And then, you know, I, I became president of my college at Cal State Dominguez. And uh, I just put the emphasis on education. And that was because I had a tremendous, tremendous support from my mom and dad. My mom uh, finished eighth grade, my dad finished high school they came from Mississippi they moved to the to the west coast in the early 50s and uh they're not with me today but uh everything i represent is from uh from their hard work.
0: Well, so what brought them from Mississippi? I mean Mississippi, California like my mom i uh, you know they she was born and raised or was starting to be raised in in Missouri. Um she was out there in Missouri and their their house caught fire it got got hit by lightning burned to the ground and they said hey we got to start over so they moved to california and i find that so many californians have stories like that what was what was your parents story why did they move out
1: good question i, I know it very well uh my parents were from jackson mississippi and uh we had a very very large family i wasn't i was born in los angeles but uh the story goes very simply half of our family went to chicago uh and half of the family went to los angeles and you know uh during the 50s jason a lot of blacks black americans decided to leave the south and move for better opportunities and and my dad had a great job opportunity in los angeles and at that point he picked up the family and we moved uh we moved to Los Angeles. The other half of our family, his brothers and cousins, they went to Chicago. And you saw, you know, during the fifties and the early sixties, a great migration of Black Americans moving to either the West Coast or the Midwest or the East Coast. And and that's how our family got started. And uh, I've been born and raised in Los Angeles. I've always been a, an Angelino, even though there's been some tough times here today. We'll talk about that later. But. That's how we, that's how I'm in Los Angeles. I'm very happy to be in Angelina. Well, I lived in uh,
0: Southern California, just not too far from you there in Los Angeles area, just uh, for a few years, seven, age seven to 11 or so. I can't remember exactly, but you know, for about four years, we lived down there and beautiful weather. I loved the beach. It was, you know, um, but I didn't live out by the Coliseum, which I'm familiar with. I mean, was it is, was it safe? Was it, Dangerous was uh, it? Uh, idyllic neighborhoods like the Wonder Years. What was it like?
1: You know what? Good question. And uh, uh, I think in my early, I lived in near the Coliseum. I can tell you right now, three thirty-seven West Sixtieth Street. I was in that area. <laughs> I remember that address. Uh, it was it was nice. It was safe in the late fifties, early sixties, and I caveat that because uh, I grew up, I, I attended elementary school near the Coliseum. And then Jason, and I can remember this very well, November 1964, uh, dad got a better job and we moved to the South Bay area. It's called Carson, Gardena. Yeah. And we bought. he bought a brand new house for us, uh, a four bedroom house, because at that point there was five children and a mom and dad, so those was seven. And he moved us there. And he, believe it or not, it was probably the greatest move of all time because in 1965, one year after we left, there was the Watts riot, right in the area that I used to live in. Hmm. And it never reached our new home. So I'll tell you, it went from a very peaceful area to a very destructive area, unfortunately, because the Watts riots was a horrific, and sad moment in the history of the city of los angeles
0: did you was there like a cocoon in your house where you just felt impervious and and safe compared to to what was going on in the world around you or i mean was that mom dad the i mean the family unit was just tight and hey don't don't let the ways of the world get to you or what was it like for you there
1: that was again these are just excellent questions brings back some some very very fond memories uh to answer your questions my mom and dad provided a a shield of protection you know we never in our young days were exposed to violence we saw it on tv but it was never uh, it never directly affected our family and i think our dad my, my dad and my mom made sure that that never happened we never had any type of violent act outside our house, inside our house. It was a, a peaceful family. Yeah, and it was it was peaceful times. We had a, a very safe environment when we moved, and it was sort of like a wonder years, but we, we knew there was trouble uh, within the city, within the state, within the country, because in the 60s, turbulent times, riots, uh, a lot of civil unrest, but in our home, we had peace. Well, and what was your school like? I mean, you you seem
0: to speak uh, favorably of it, fondly of it. Was it uh, was race an issue back then for you at school?
1: You know, interesting. Yeah, it was, uh, and I I think I had a positive experience. Um, I, I mean, you were elected like the to, president
0: of the uh, high school, so yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, honestly, Jason, again, I I I want to be very clear to the listeners. I owe everything, every ounce of my success uh, to my mom and dad. And I gotta be very careful if I don't get emotional. (sighs) Uh, Yeah, my mom and dad house was like the United Nations, people of all colors and uh, gave me a good perspective. And uh, I think I took that approach when I went to school. And I think I was very likable. couple. And that's why I became I think I, that's how I became uh, president of my high school and have very fond memories and stayed in contact with a lot of high school friends. Uh, it were was you a, like
0: were you like the 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 jokester? I mean, People get along in different ways, right, Leo? Some yeah. can just be outright friendly. Some can be, "Hey, I got the quip of the moment, right at the right time." Others are, you know, just can make the teacher smile. And and hey, if I really want this, I could. I bet I could talk my teacher into it and and help out the rest of the guy. I mean, there's different strategies, right? So, what was your well, strategy? What What did you, know, you just I, naturally gravitate to?
1: Well, I, I had a good personality first of all, and that was because there was a lot of bantering inside the house. We have, you know, brothers and sisters, a large group, and then mom and dad. So I had a good personality and I wanted to, again, the education was very important to my family. So in the classroom, funny. I thought, I, I believe I was pretty smart. I wasn't the okay. smartest person in the class, but I was funny and I developed always a fantastic relationship with my teacher. Sometimes I was considered the teacher's pet. But I, I wanted to do well in school. And uh, I thought, you know, I felt that I, I overall I did a good job.
0: You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Leo Terrell right after this. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout
1: your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So you're moving forward. You get through high school. Um, well, what was your first job, like away from home? Yeah, I, I don't know if you were, I don't know if you were like mowing the lawn or mom said, oh, hey, Leo, you take out the garbage. I don't know what those jobs were, but what was your first job, kind of away from mom and dad?
1: Oh, that's, that's you know what? It's funny. My, my mom and dad never wanted us to work. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, he they wanted us to. Uh, Stay home and study, but I'll tell you right now. I, I recall it well. It's probably the best experience I had. My first job was McDonald's restaurant in the city of Gardena. I made a dollar t- ten <laughs> per hour. Uh, plus, they charged me food a dollar yeah, 10. Food ten. I'm telling you, 1970. I think it was 1971, uh, 70 <laughs> or 71. I know one thing, and I'll I'll, I'll confess. I think you had to be 16 to uh, get a job, and I lied about my age. I wanted a job so bad, so I lied. Uh, uh, I lied so I can qualify to get that job. But yes, that was my first job, and it was the, it was the best experience I had. It gave me a lot of leadership and working with people. You
0: know, of you know, I've done a like 60-something podcast so far. The number one answer I've had: What's your first outside job? McDonald's. A whole bunch of people that have gone on with great success have worked at McDonald's because I, I think they have a formula. They think they taught kids and, you know, how to work and be responsible and give them, give them a job. And, yeah, the compensation wasn't off the charts. It certainly got it at ten.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I remember that so well. I mean, it's just a great question. And you're absolutely right. It gave you Leadership, it taught you how to work, and it gave you responsibility, Jason, at an early age. I, I know when I was 16, I was a, a, what they call a swing manager. And I had responsibility over the, the shift that I worked. And it gave you a lot of leadership responsibility and how to be very, very efficient. And honestly, those life skills that I learned at McDonald's, I, I still ins- have those uh, installed instilled upon me as I speak to you today.
0: Now, did you ever ascend to the position of making the actual French fries? Because I hear that's like the top (laughs) of the top. What, What did they have you
1: doing at McDonald's? Hey, let me tell you right now, this is so great. Uh, hey, I did. I did the grill. I sh- fry, shake. You know, at that time, and people who are listening to this podcast may remember McDonald's had what they call national competition. It was called the All American McDonald's, and, and and various stores would compete for the title of the best shake man, the best the best fry <laughs> man, the best grill man. Uh, so I, I, you know, I I competed. Didn't get too far out of the regionals, but boy, those were some great experiences. <laughs> <laughs> mcdonald's that, that, the best for
0: that is great well first of all i think i kind of fibbed on my age too to kind of get a job but you <laughs> could do that back then and um good for you because yeah i mean you got to work and work okay so you get a job at mcdonald's um you got some income you're you're focusing on school but you know eventually high school runs out then you got to make some decisions leo what was what'd you decide to do
1: I'll tell you right now, after I finished high school, Gardena High School, I knew I was going to college. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, but I I knew during the course of my my undergraduate four years, I was getting tired of school. And so after I finished my four years of college, uh, I wanted to work and I wanted to become a teacher. And uh, I took an extra year of teacher's ed, which gave me five years. I started teaching. Wait, what was your
0: undergraduate? What was your undergraduate in?
1: my undergraduate was at cal state dominions hills i got a bachelor's in political science a minor in geography uh i i knew like i said again i knew i wanted to be a lawyer i, I love politics at that time because my mom and dad would always watch the news right and i was always sitting there in the living room watching the news with them but uh i i wanted to also work and i was tired of school and so uh After I got my teaching credential, I started teaching for a couple of years. So I went to a university called Pepperdine University. He's got my master's in education administration.
0: Nice. And then Pepperdine's pretty nice, Leo. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. A lot of distractions in Pepperdine. You know that.
1: You know, Jason in the house, I'll tell you, again, education was something my parents stressed and Pepperdine was a beautiful combination of a beautiful campus with a, a solid educational program. Very proud of getting that master's in admin, education administration. But, uh, you know, I, I saw the writing on the wall because those, uh, that desire to become a lawyer was calling. So I, I decided to uh, resign as a teacher Kept, I kept my teaching credential, Jason. I could teach still. I could teach today, and I decided to uh, leave education. And then I went to law school at UCLA. Good
0: for you. A lot of distractions at UCLA too. You must have been focused because <laughs> you 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 get through UCLA
1: and you got your your law degree there, right? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, tremendous education at ucla just like at pepperdine and even cal state dominguez and i'll tell you it was very very competitive because uh law school i mean there was undergrads from all over the country from harvard yale princeton duke it it was very competitive and i question my my talent my my intelligence because it was so competitive but i'm very proud to say on the jason in the house podcast i took the california state bar i passed it the first time and i was off and running to become a lawyer.
0: All right, so you get that degree. Who, wh- did you go work for a
1: big law firm, small law firm? What'd you do? I'll tell you exactly. I knew, Jason, right when I finished law school that there was no way in the world I was gonna work for somebody because I would get fired because I was very headstrong. I was very opinionated. And you, you know if you- if Leo, people the are Leo learning- that I see on <laughs> Vianity, are you kidding me? <laughs> i i'm not telling you no lie i knew for a fact that if i worked for a law firm if i didn't agree with a partner or i got someone upset (laughs) i would be fired so i took the chance and from day one started my own law practice it was hard it was grueling, but it was satisfying and i ran my own law practice for like 30 years No, no excuse me uh, 24 years and then i i closed it up in 2014.
0: you gotta you have a lot of gumption to 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 go out there and and hang up your own shingle when you're fresh just past the bar i mean you're pretty young at that point to 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 have somebody entrust you with all their legal work what what kind of law did you focus the, the 20 plus years you did that what quick type of it was civil rights stuff you started focusing yeah. on right
1: yeah. Yeah. First of all, the great the, the reason why I was able to do it, Jason, was because I had tremendous mentors. I I, I I think I spent a summer waiting for my bar results in Arkansas. I worked with a fantastic civil rights attorney named John Walker. Uh, that was the time when uh, Boyd Clinton was governor and I, I spent time down there, but I became a civil rights attorney. Uh, my, my mentor said you should do civil rights and uh, I will help you. So, I opened up my own shingle in Los Angeles and, you know, working 18, 19 hours a day. I was never afraid of hard work. And, you know, from one client to two clients. And yes, I focus on civil rights because I grew up during the 60s. I believe in what Dr. King said judge a person by the contents of his character, not the color of his skin. And uh, Dr. King was one of my role models during the 60s. And I was proud to be a civil rights attorney.
0: So you do that. You obviously had success because you're you're feeding yourself and you're making an income and you're paying the bills and and uh, enough to go out and spend some money at McDonald's along the way and um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then um, but how involved were you in the pol- the political side of the equation? I mean, because you you know identified yeah. yourself as a republic or as a uh, as a Democrat, you got your yeah. degree in part in that, and so. How, how involved were you in politics at that point?
1: I was very involved uh first of all when I opened up my own shingle, my own law practice, I decided to join various organizations. I, I was member of the uh, NAACP I was one of their legal counsels in Los Angeles and I have a story to tell you about that uh, I joined organizations trying to work together with the Korean community I was chairperson of the black Korean Alliance, trying to make sure there was greater relationship between African-Americans and the Korean community. Uh, I was appointed on the uh, statewide commission uh, against hate crimes by uh, a former Lieutenant Governor, Leo McCarthy. So I was very active and uh, you know, I thought I was doing very good work and I, I was, I took a lot of pride in what I was doing because my ultimate goal, Jason, uh, even as a Democrat, was to help people, and I only got involved in organizations and projects that I felt that I could help people. And those projects that I did join, I thought I felt very successful. I felt very accomplished. Well, so tell me
0: about the NAACP.
1: You know, I'll tell you right now. This is back in two thousand, early two thousand. Uh, president Bush is uh, the president, uh, uh, and 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 this is something that. Even when I was a Democrat, even when I was, you know, party line Democrat, I would have a independent streak. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's one of the reasons why I opened up my own practice. And when I appeared as a lawyer, I only wanted a judge who was fair. Well, here's the story. Uh, President Bush nominated a judge named Carolyn Kuhl. She was the L.A. Superior Court judge. I had appeared before her to the Ninth Circuit. She was a Republican, she was Catholic and I I appeared before her and I wrote a letter saying, I'm going to support you. And so the white house got wind of that. They flew me back to Washington DC uh, because I appeared with some Republicans. I, I think one of them was Rick Santorum. I still have the videotape. And I said, look, <laughs> all you want as a lawyer is a judge who is fair and she is fair. I get back to my hotel. The NAACP calls me and says, hey, Leo, we just saw you on TV. Yeah. Uh, you're supporting Carolyn Cool. Yes. She's fair. Uh, we don't support her. Okay, no problem. I support her. Uh, but but we don't support her. I said, okay, but I support her. She's fair. Well, we got a problem. If you're going to support her, we have a problem with you being a member of the NAACP. I quit. That day I quit. There's a Wall Street Journal article that I, I'm very proud that I that they cover that story, and that's that's the type of person I am. That's why I knew that no one's going to tell me what I believe. You had a judge who was fair, but the NAACP said no because she's a Republican and she was supported by George Bush. I didn't. I don't play that game. She was a fair judge. I personally appeared before her, and all you want as a as a as a lawyer is a fair judge. No politics.
0: Well, yeah, I mean I. I don't know what the argument is against that, unless you're an organization just pure partisan, you know, political flack. And uh, I, I, good for you, good for you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so so let's go back here to yeah. the the transition, if you will, from sure. Leo 1.0 to Leo 2.0. <laughs> I mean, Sean Hannity loves statisia and 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 uh, oh, yeah. and uh, I mean, you you have so much fun with Hannity on this, but. Explain to me that where you kind of decided, all right, I'm making that transition. And then I don't know where along the way you kind of bumped into to Donald Trump. And and uh, but explain all
1: that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm more than happy to. And thank you for that question. Uh, it's it's June. of, I think it's May or June of 2020. Joe Biden goes on a radio program. I think it's called Charlemagne. The God. Uh huh and he makes a reference that says if you vote for trump something like this you ain't black jason i'm a civil rights lawyer i'm a civil rights lawyer and he is basically making one of the most racist statements ever that all black people have to vote democrat all black people have to think alike for some reason and i don't know what happened sean hannity's producer called me and asked me to appear on the show. I think they honestly felt that I was going to defend that position. Right. Jason, I'm a person of values. I, my sister is in law enforcement, by the way. That's very important, uh, and I'll tell that later on. So, I, so they're expecting me to somehow defend Biden's position. I'm on the Sean Hannity show. I remember it very vividly: Ari Fleischer, Larry Elder, and myself. So, you know, they're they're setting me up to to defend Biden. Right. All right. And I said, no, I went after Biden and said, this is insulting, it's racist, it's offensive, and I, I, I cannot support this. And, and so everybody was shocked. Everybody was shocked. That was, To me, was that really a, tr- a, a transition, a, a transformation, or just good old common sense, that the Democrats have, have assumed that black people will become Democrats automatically because of skin color? And I was offended by that. And that's how it started. That was the beginning.
0: Well tell me about your sister it being a law yeah, for- enforcement. Sure.
1: At that time it was unbelievable these two events the the Joe Biden racist statement and then all of a sudden you had the rise the summer riots. My sister was in law enforcement for 15 years at LA County Sheriff. And you know and the beauty of, of my relationship with my sister Jason I'm a civil rights attorney. She's a a law enforcement. We would argue back and forth. We all agree that in every profession, there's bad lawyers, there's bad cops, but 97% of cops are good. They protect you and I at 2 a.m. So back to the Democrats, they want to defund the police. They want to take away law enforcement. So you had the Joe Biden racist statement and you had a Democratic Party who had basically abandoned law enforcement. And then you had summer summarize. I couldn't support that. And with those two issues, I said adios to the Democratic Party. And I, that, that, those were the two issues that made me leave the Democratic Party. Interesting. And I'm very happy.
0: You, you, you've been pretty vocal in your support of of Donald Trump, the, the, you know, America first agenda. Have you, have you spent much time with the president along the way?
1: Well, let me tell you, I am. It's funny. Your timing of that question was perfect because just two weeks ago, the president was in Los Angeles and uh, uh, he was, you know, greeting some people. He saw me He said, Hey, I know that guy. That's 2.0. That's Leo. And then he said, that's the most famous guy in the room. I said, no, Mr. President, you are. <laughs> and so I said, no, you're the you're the most famous person in the room. So uh, the president, you know, a couple of times picked up the phone and called me. I've interviewed the president as, you know, as a call of your question. I just uh, uh, ran into him. I, Well, I took some photographs with him a couple of weeks ago in Los Angeles. But yeah, I'm a big Donald Trump supporter and I'm going to do everything possible to get. I got two goals. Uh, to retire Nancy Pelosi this year, she's out. I mean, our state is in just horrible. She's a horrific speaker. And I'm gonna do everything I can to put President Trump back in the White House. This guy, uh, you know, he puts country first. Uh, no one can argue with his success, notwithstanding the opposition from the left-wing media and the Democratic Party are absolutely jealous. His endorsement means something. I am committed, Jason, I want your listeners to know this 100% to our president. What, uh, well, I mean, you
0: got friends, you got colleagues, you got, uh, did they just think you've gone off the rails or do they like, are they like quietly saying, you know, we know you're right. We just can't say it out loud?
1: There are vocals, one, there are vocal friends who have said, sell out. Oh, you, uh, how much do they pay you? Uh, you know, the, the classic, terms uh house negro uncle Tom. you know what i told you from day one i'm a very independent person the story i told you about you know leaving the NAACP the fact that i knew i i i knew for a fact i would be fired if i worked for a law firm i am not going to let people tell me how to think how i feel my values have been instilled upon me by my parents so yeah i got the criticism does it bother me absolutely not and then there are people who understand. There are people who are very, very uh, private and will call me, and say, well, I support you. My family, my sister, the brothers, is very supportive. But yeah, but the, the hecklers no, doesn't have any any effect on me whatsoever.
0: So have you ever thought about running for political office? I mean, like you know how to speak. You're well, you, you got a great educational background. You're involved in engaged in politics. Have you ever thought about putting your name on a ballot and, and running?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I, I have run before I, as a Democrat. Oh, you did? One of that, oh, yeah. yeah. I ran uh, in the early 2000s. I ran for Congress and for city council. Unsuccessful, like third or fourth place out of a field of eight or nine. Uh, but I'll tell you right there, I knew that I would even have problems with you know, with the special interest groups like the unions. You know, I, I have problems with you know with union leadership, and so you know I didn't get those quote traditional endorsements. So I've I run before. Uh, it's it's it was unsuccessful. Uh, what I consider running right now. You know, honestly and truly, I like my current role. I, I know, and I, and would I ever rule it out? No. But uh, right now, I'm enjoying what I'm currently doing, speaking out on behalf of President Trump and and Republican values.
0: I mean, that's it's amazing, right? Because uh, that's the one of the great things about being, you know, you and I are both involved and engaged with Fox. Is that you get this this big microphone and you megaphone, you can get out there and and uh, talk to millions of people. And and uh, there's a reason why Fox keeps bringing you on so much because you've got an amazing way to synthesize something down to a simple thing. I I once heard Bill Clinton. The one thing I probably agree with on Bill Clinton, he said, you know, for every topic, every issue, you got to be able to talk about it for 30 minutes. You got to be able to talk about it for three minutes. But then you also got to be able to get it down to about 20 or 30 seconds. And and the smaller the time frame, the harder it gets. And some people are good at it. Um, Some people, eh, maybe not so much. Um, but I think you, you, you do that and it's because you get to the right of the heart of the, the principle and the matter, and you bring a perspective that maybe a lot of other people haven't heard of or thought of or seen before.
1: That's one of the greatest compliments ever that I've ever received. And I appreciate that. And that has been, I don't know, a God given talent because I am, I am able to do that. And I have been swamped with people saying, my gosh, you speak to the point, you get your message across quick, and the it resonates tremendously well. And uh, I sometimes just I can't believe how successful it is because of the response I've received all over the country. I'm, I'm very happy, blessed by that, and I, I thank you for that question, because it's it's been amazing. It's been amazing the last year and a half, and uh, the response uh, and able to just get that point across in a very In a very short phrase, uh, people understand and can relate to it. And they know it's real. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the
0: thing is uh, this is why this is a big part of, I think, Donald Trump, that those kind of elitists on the coast that just don't understand is the authenticity of which Donald Trump represents. I mean, authenticity, I think, wins elections It wins the day and people can sniff it out on television and everything else. When you get up there, you just can't fake it. you got to speak from the heart. And, and Donald Trump always did that, right? I mean, he always – and he could speak to people. You know, he's a ultra-wealthy, uh, successful person who grew up. You know, he's in real estate. I mean, on paper, you would think that the average person across the country couldn't relate to that. But he knows how to talk to them, how to communicate with them, how to relate to them.
1: You, you are 100% spot on. And this is what people, you know, the, you know, the people, the, the politician, the PR firm, they don't understand it. He resonates with the everyday person, the yeah. average person. And there's that disconnect. The establishment doesn't understand it because they don't relate. And here's an ex president who can call for a rally on a weekend Bad weather, cold weather, and 60, 70,000 people are going to show up. That is unbelievable. His endorsement means something. He has like a 90% uh, uh, victory rate. I mean, it's unbelievable, but that is unique. And his ability to be frank and honest, uh, people can see it instead of the inside the beltway rhetoric that people just reject.
0: A confession here so i i was uh during this uh 2016 uh, race i got out and supported marco rubio i like marco yeah, i think he's a good guy i think actually he'd be a good president so i got got behind him and was supporting him and went out on the road and he was working hard in nevada you know he 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 was he was working hard in Nevada, and they had a team out there trying to get people to come out. You know, We did went to Reno and Elko and amazing crowds, quite frankly. But, boy, did they have to really work at it. And then I remember yeah. I remember all of a sudden, right as Marco was preparing, and, and Ted Cruz was out there, too, doing the same thing. And then all of a sudden, one tweet from Donald Trump, I'll be in Las Vegas on this date at this time. <laughs> And every other campaign, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, they all had to scramble. And, of course, Donald Trump had like thousands and thousands and thousands of more people show up than any of those other campaigns. It's just they flocked with one tweet. It was unbelievable. Yeah,
1: it's it's unbelievable. And that's unique to Donald Trump. Uh, And it's it's, again, it's people, the average citizen, the people who are not involved. They trust wow. him. They believe him. And he sends a message to them that they can understand and believe. And and yeah. that's why it, it is remarkable for an ex-president to be so successful as far as his ability to influence uh, the American electorate. It's amazing. It's remarkable. Yeah,
0: it, really, it really is amazing. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be right back after this.
1: All right. Uh,
0: Leo Terrell. Uh, oh. We have you can't get out of this Jason in the House podcast without answering the rapid <laughs> questions. So, <laughs>
1: I, this has I, been very good so far. Uh, well, asked, we,
0: we asked we're not yet. Questions. We're not done yet. So yeah, right. yeah, look out. All right. So here we go. You ready? Ready. First concert you attended?
1: uh, uh Janet Jackson. Oh, no, that was pretty good. In, in,
0: there in LA, I bet that was good. I bet that LA. was fun. It was. It was.
1: It was fantastic.
0: Uh your high school mascot.
1: Uh at that time it was called the Mohicans. The, the Mohicans, all right. I like no it. No longer.
0: Yeah. Uh we talked about your first job. Uh that that was good. Um Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you you probably get recognized now. Uh do you have any funny uh, stories about hey, you know, I was at this place. Like the story I like to tell I was in Nashville. And this guy recognized me, and he said, "Hey, Jason." And he was insistent that I was his dentist. Like he did not. <laughs> I could. I could not convince. Him. I said, "No, no, look, I, you know, I was in Congress. Uh, you know, I'm on TV a lot. Um, I think it was actually while I was in Congress. You know, I, I, I." He's like, "No, no, no, you're my dentist." I could not talk him out of it. He, he, finally, we were laughing enough that he he finally relented. But he was so convinced that I was his dentist.
1: Anything like that ever mm-hmm. happened to you? I will tell you, I mean, other than the fact, Jason, that I have uh, received so many free dinners. Uh, this guy over here paid for your dinner. This customer paid for your dinner. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I, it's unbelievable, but uh, I can only tell you one hilarious story. I'm, I'm going to a, a hotel to have dinner, and there's one man who has seen me on TV, I've never been kissed by a man more than this guy. grabbed. I love you. I love you. Fox News. I love you. I buy you anything you want. I love you. He kissed me at least five or six times. I could not shake him. Uh, he was with his wife and his daughter, and we took pictures. But I, I think that I have never been kissed by a man more than this guy. On the cheek. On the cheek. On the cheek. Uh, but uh, he was just so happy.
0: Yeah, whether you wanted it or not, that was going to happen, yeah. huh? Yeah, all right. It was gonna,
1: I had no choice. <laughs> do you have a pet? That to me has been the most remarkable and hilarious thing that I've experienced. And, but I, I've enjoyed the free lunches and dinners. All right, very, very good. Uh, did you have a pet growing up? Uh, you know, my parents never let us have. Uh, no, the answer your question. We never were allowed to have pets. However, I told my mom and dad. I said, when I grow up, you know, when I leave the house, I'm going to have pets. So, did I do, love dogs. Did you do that? Oh, absolutely. I've had, I had, uh, I'm going through a, a long mourning period because I had two shelter dogs that lived to be 15 and 16 years. Oh, and wow. The, oh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's just heartbreaking when you lose them. Yeah, they're, the family. Uh,
0: they're family, they're what, family. What kind
1: of dogs were they? Oh, they were, one was a, a, a German Shepherd, uh, uh, I think there were, yeah, there were, one was a German Shepherd and another one was a German Shepherd mix. And I, if I could tell just this quick little story, sure. uh, I went to the animal shelter, there were rescued dogs. They said, okay, we'll get the first one. I called her uh, master. Uh, but uh, I, they said, you got to get the shots and uh, come back next week. And uh, so I came back next week and uh, there was somebody else who wanted the dog and so we had to bid for the dog. This is the animal shelter, and we started off at $50, and then Mel Eagle got involved. I was able to purchase Master for $1,400. It all went to the animal shelter, and (laughs) boy, the most expensive animal shelter dog I ever purchased. Well, you know, at least there's
0: yeah, and I could see you doing at the bidding. You're probably at twelve hundred dollars. Like, wait a sec, this is getting expensive. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's but it but at least it's going to a good cause, right? Oh, you're helping to the save cause. these other dogs. Yeah, no,
1: no regret, no regrets. And one other point, uh, you know, one of the uh, my, my our Fox colleague Dana Dana Perino, I must text her every day regarding her beautiful dog Percy. And so uh, I I love dogs. I just love pets. All right. uh,
0: Unique talent nobody knows about. What's something Leo can do that, like, yeah, nobody knows I can do that. But I'm pretty good at juggling (laughs) or something like that.
1: I'm going to be honest. I'm a true teller. Nothing. I have no unique talent. Nothing. I have no unique talent. I mean, I'm, I'm average at playing golf and playing sports, but nothing. No, I want to be truthful. No unique talent.
0: Nothing. nothing. Well, you're pretty good at making an argument. And my guess is you can make French fries better than I can based on your <laughs> McDonald's experience.
1: Oh my gosh. I, was, I love making French fries and shakes. Oh, there you yeah. go. All that right. Great. So, great.
0: uh, well, that brings me to the next thing. Uh, pineapple and pizza. Yes or no?
1: Oh yes. Oh,
0: oh you, yes. Know, you were on a roll. Everybody
1: was no, loving sorry. this interview, that, but you got that no, one wrong. Uh, no, no, sir. I love pizza, but that pineapple when you when you bite into that pineapple, all oh, with the p. Oh, I love. No, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> pineapple pizza. I'm in. I mean, I like others, but I love pineapple pizza. If we're together and
0: somebody serves up pineapple pizza, you can have all of it, and I love pizza. I I love Me pizza, too. but you don't put Me a too. wet fruit on my pizza. That's just not what oh, we're gonna that do. Juice bite into it.
1: It's delicious. Uh,
0: no. <laughs> no, not going to happen. All right. So, you have an opportunity. This is my hypothetical. You have an opportunity. You can invite anybody, anybody, dead or alive, to come on over, break bread, have a share a meal. Uh, who would that one person be that you would invite over to to spend an evening with?
1: A mm, good question. Very good question. I'm. I'm uh, the first person that just popped in my head was doc- Dr. King. Yeah, Dr. Martin Luther King. That would be the first person. I mean, uh, again, uh, I mean, I love watching sports here, but I just think that I can learn a lot. I like to learn, and I think a lot I can ask him. So it will be Dr. King.
0: Good answer. Good answer. All right, what's that other thing for Leo Terrell? And what I mean by that is if you want to get out and, like, clear your head, just, like, you know, been a tough day or a lot on my mind or I just want to recharge my batteries. How do you do that? What do you what do you do? I like doing wildlife photography. Get out there, forget about the world, and I just love it. What, what what's that for Leo Terrell?
1: You know what? Honestly and truly, my greatest activity, I used to love to jog. I used to love to run. I ran marathons. I think my best marathon really? was three hours and thirty-five minutes. Wow. I used to love to run. I used to, it cleared my head. And I used to love to do it in the morning. I still now I try to run. I still get up about four thirty-five in the morning, and I'm telling you, Jason, when I'm just trying to jog, and it's just cool air. There's no phones ringing. It is just it, it, it's. I can think well. I can just feel blessed. That's the best part of the day, and that's the best. That's my favorite activity. The only regret I wish I could run like I used to, but hey, I still make that effort. I, I, I ran. I jogged this morning before the show. I
0: loved it. Uh, see, that's good. You know, my, my dad did that. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. But every day he would get out and go jog. And and yeah. uh, no matter the weather. Yeah. And, and he had a little journal. He would write it all down, how far I went, what the weather was like, what he saw, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and he did it for years and years and years. And um, it's a comfort. It's yeah.
1: private comfort. It's amazing. And I you feel it.
0: better. You feel better when you. Yeah, exercise. that's
1: the thing about it. It's a win-win yeah. all the way around. All right.
0: Uh, best advice you ever got?
1: Oh, good question. Uh, I think the best advice I got was from John Walker. He said, "You need to open up your own law practice. You need to you need to follow your own direction." And uh, I think that was a brilliant move. Uh, he that great advice, and I followed it. Starting my own law practice gave me a tremendous amount of independence, made me, uh, uh, g- gave me the ability to, you know, set my own course and direction. I, d- I didn't have to compromise. And that's why I was able to walk away from things that I felt were not consistent with my values. Yeah,
0: I feel for the people that I think uh, feel almost trapped yes and, you know it, because I think they want to do that they want to set their own direction but they just you know the more ingrained you get the more obligations yep. you take on with maybe yep. with a family or a mortgage or and it's just tough and and so good for you because boy that that's tough coming out of college it you're is. young yeah young how am I yeah. gonna convince me how am I gonna find a client how am I gonna pay this I gotta get you know rent and all this kind of stuff yes. and I gotta get a you know some but, but, but Jason, that's, and <laughs>
1: that's the beauty of this country, because you if you work hard and you commit yourself, you may have help along the way. You can do it. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Good for you. Well, your great American success story. I love seeing you and bump it into you, Fox. I hope our our paths continue to cross a lot. But uh, Leo Terrell, thanks for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Jason, I want to thank you very much for inviting me. It was great meeting you in person. The questions today were excellent, made me think a lot, and I thank you very much. I hope your listeners enjoy
0: it. Well, I did. You know, it touched my heart when you when you think about your parents the way you did. And, you know, it's uh, we've got Memorial Day coming up, and there are a lot of people yeah. out there that, you know, lost a loved one along the way serving in our military, and um, it's just a good time to reflect. And I, I just hope all Americans, we just don't, on Memorial day. We just don't stop and, and do that, you know, just on Memorial day or 4th of July. We, we gotta, we gotta be, we can remember those people. And I, I just, yeah. I, you know, this whole interview, I'll, I'll probably remember that the most uh, and how much you uh, appreciate. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad breath. you,
1: uh, I'm glad you asked the question. I'm glad you asked the follow-up question to get me out of that. That feeling its a great feeling. I think about my parents every day, but I, I, I appreciate the question and I appreciate you leading me out of there so we can continue the podcast. Thank you very yeah. much.
0: Thanks, Leo. Leo, Thank Terrell, join us. We'll sh- I'm sure we'll see you soon on, uh, on Fox TV and uh, <laughs> talk to you again. Again, thanks for joining us on the Jason in the house podcast.
1: Thank you, sir. See you later, Jason in the house.
0: All right. Wasn't that a fun conversation with Leo? I love Leo. Leo's a good guy. You know, uh, it, we totally different background and upbringing than me i love having those kind of conversations with people like that people are fired up love this country and want to see her get back on track so leo leo terrell can't thank you enough for joining us look forward to seeing more of him on hannity and the other shows as well but particularly hannity he's on there quite a bit thank you again i hope you have a wonderful memorial day uh weekend or holiday or and remember it for all the right reasons thanks for listening to the jason in the house podcast need you to rate it Give it some stars, subscribe to it, um, and uh, we look forward to having you back next week with another exciting guest. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House.